Hi, my name is Christy, and this podcast is my pursuit to glean practical wisdom on femininity, homemaking, finances, and relationships from the God-fearing women in my life. Hope you enjoy this journey with me as we learn to smile at the future. Now let's dive right in. Welcome to the Smiling at the Future podcast. Today, I have a returning guest named Janice Johnson, and if you have not had a chance to listen to the first conversation we had, please go back and listen to my very first two episodes. She lays the groundwork for how to develop and maintain good habits as a single woman, and that conversation is one of my top three favorite interviews to date. So really encourage you to take a listen to those. You will be greatly encouraged and benefited from that conversation. Janice is the mother of 11 children. She has eight girls and three boys, and they also have a family YouTube channel called The Big Ski Family, where they share how they thrive as a large family. She and her husband also have some marriage Q&As that are wonderful on that same channel, And even as a single lady, I have learned so much from them. They also run a family candle shop, and you can find out more by visiting their website, farmhousecandleshop.com. I order from them regularly, and I love the scents that they offer. I think it's really neat how they have started this business as a way to teach their children about running a business and also about entrepreneurship. So love the vision behind the business, love the family, and it is definitely worthy of supporting. Remember to rate and review this podcast and share with other single ladies in your life. And don't forget, you can always send comments and questions to smilingatthefuturepodcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram as well. Now that all those details are out of the way, here is my conversation with Janice Johnson. Well, Janice, thank you so much for coming alongside me again in this conversation. And it's a topic that is going to be very helpful to all women because we all interact with men, whether it's church or coworkers or family members. And it's going to be really helpful to have some good tools of communication and understanding the men in our lives. And so I have quite a few questions. We have questions submitted by listeners as well. And we'll just go through these and gain some wisdom on this important topic. So the first question I have for you is, what level of friendship would it be wise for a single girl to have with the men in her life? Okay, so I am a big believer in relationships. God created us for relationship, and it's important, male and female, to have healthy relationships. And with that being said, I think it's important to realize that relationships are dynamic. They are not static. And if a guy likes you, you have to manage it. And so if you're not interested, you might need to create some healthy space. Maybe it's not showing eye contact, not making yourself so available, talking to other people in social situations, or as my girls would call it, putting them on ice <laughs> in a in a nice way, you know, 
it's important for us as women not to use guys for our own selfish ambition to get attention so they so you can feel good about yourself. We all love to feel desirable and we all love when someone thinks we're pretty and we're noticed and we're recognized and we're set apart from other girls in the group. But we have to be very careful that we are not taking advantage of a guy's vulnerability in that area. I have 11 children and eight of those kids are girls. And so um, they range from eight to 25. And so we have had a lot of experience with this actual topic. So I have a couple of daughters that are very extroverted, bubbly, outgoing, friendly. They don't know a stranger. They're fun. They're funny. And uh, we've had to approach our daughters and say, listen, you are leading this guy on. I can see that. And you just can't be your yourself. And I remember the girls just being so upset about, I mean, I can't be myself. I'm like, yeah. You cannot be yourself, your bubbly, wonderful self, because they are definitely interpreting that in a different way. And so it's super important that we use wisdom and discernment in our relationships. And I will say that this goes for married women as well. I think it's important. I have great relationships with my brothers-in-law and, you know, men in the church and it's a friendship level. But if I feel any hint of somebody desiring more than that or thinking I'm pretty special or attractive or something like that, I immediately run from that because that is no place for a married woman for sure. And the same goes for a single person. We just need to love men and that we wouldn't want to be taken advantage of, right? So treat others as we would want to be treated ourselves. So I think it's really important. That's a good question. Do you think friendships are between single men and women? Are Should girls hang out one-on-one regularly with guys? I guess, what would that practically look like, That just the interactions between singles that you think is healthy and wise? Yeah, well, um, and I know in college, I had a, a friend that was helping me tutor through school. So, you know, in math, I had some troubles there and he was really good at math, but I had to make sure that he wasn't spending time with me. He's like, oh, this is a great opportunity for me to, you know, spend time with her. So I think one-on-one, you have to be careful with that. You know, you just have to use wisdom and discernment. And as long as, you know, like the guy that was tutoring me, I made sure that I talked about other guys like, oh, I'm interested in this person. Like, what do you think? You know, and, and made sure that it's all like, you know, he isn't thinking something else. So just it's important just to use wisdom. Women can misunderstand and have misconceptions of men. So what do you think are the common misconceptions women have? Well, sometimes I think that as women, we think that guys don't have emotions, that they are just strong all the time and need to be strong all the time. And that just isn't the case. We were, we are all made in God's image and emotions are important. I'm actually married to somebody who is quite emotional and it's touching actually. So is my father-in-law. So was my father. They were very touched when Um, you know, tears would come to their eyes when somebody was praying or um, over the death of somebody else. Or my father-in-law, when he talks about his wife, he gets choked up. You know, I think it's precious, you know, caring for somebody else or having a hard time and being vulnerable in that way. I think it's really good. 
and we need to be fine with guys being emotional. But at the same time, a lot of times I know for my husband, he was kind of run by his emotions when we first got married. And so I needed to be strong because he relied on me to be strong. And he's definitely got a lot stronger mentally. When he was growing up, it was just kind of like, hey, I don't want to work. This is bothering me. I'm going skiing. And he would just kind of follow his emotions instead of like sticking through things that were hard. And so that has been a great growing process for him. You're human and it's a good thing. And sometimes we can help minimize the overwhelm that they might be feeling by asking them questions and maybe narrowing it down to helping them realize what is really bothering them. And I think overall, they could be misunderstood in that way. Another misconception may be that they can read our minds. And I'm still working through that in my marriage. Like, I don't know why we put this on our men, but we just expect them to be like us and they are not. We are totally different in lots of different ways and they can't read our mind. And I remember I was just dating my husband and I, my family runs a Christian camp in Northern California. I was a work crew boss. So I stayed at the property and, and worked there with the girls and he was off river rafting and going to the mountains. And he had a girl partner that he was working with for a second wind. So for the high school kids. And so all of a sudden I didn't realize I started my period the next day, but I'm just, you know, feeling all these emotions like, you know, and just conjuring up in my mind, like, oh, maybe we're not right for each other. See how he's having so much fun and look at these girls. So anyway, he comes back to the ranch to see me and I'm just like, how are you doing? I'm like, fine. You know, and just totally giving the cold shoulder. And he's like, what is going on? And I'm like, I just don't think we're right for each other. He's like, what are you talking about? Talk to me, Denise. Well, you should know, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm just going off. And the next day I start my period and I'm like, oh, so, okay. So quick morning, you guys know your, where you are in your scheme of the month, because that has its impact too. But guys are not going to be mind readers and us shutting down and being quiet and being manipulative that way is not good. Another misconception I think women have is that we speak the same language. And I'm not talking about English language. I'm talking about Gary Chapman's The Five Love Languages. If you haven't read that book, it is a must read. It will help you in all of your relationships, your family relationships, you know, with your siblings. It's going to help you understand guys. It's going to help you understand your children and having a firm understanding of what those five love languages are is a complete game changer in relationships. I just wanted to go through a few of these, just if some of you guys haven't been exposed to them. There's five love languages. One is words of affirmation. Number two is quality time. Three, receiving gifts. Four, acts of service. And five, physical touch. My husband happens to be words of affirmation and I'm acts of service. And so a lot of times I'll just serve, 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 serve him, but I'm really not loving him in the way that he needs to be loved. He just wants words, you know, cleaning dishes and having his laundry done and preparing this and that. Those are all really good things. But his main thing that he wants from me is words of affirmation and me understanding that, realizing that, you know, my acts of service, if he would hang a picture or fix the leaky faucet, or, you know, I'm just like, oh, you're wonderful, you know? 
he just doesn't feel loved that way. And he's had to, to remind me a couple of times, but having that understanding is super important. There's all kinds of words, words that build up. There's words of appreciation, verbal compliments are much more motivating than nagging words. There's encouraging words. Encourage means to inspire courage. Proverbs 18.21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And Proverbs 12.25, heaviness in the heart of a man maketh him stoop, but a good word maketh him glad. In a relationship, knowing you can actually love someone the way they need to be loved. The other one is quality time, giving someone their undivided attention. That doesn't mean that, hey, I'm spending time with them, but I'm flipping through my phone while they're talking. Like that is not quality time for them. They don't feel loved. But it's doing something meaningful together. You know, whether it's playing tennis or something, doing something that the other person enjoys with a positive attitude. So let's say my husband, he loves to ski. Well, skiing is okay, but it's just not my, oh, it's snowing, let's go ski. But that is like number one, yes, let's go. And for me to get on my skis and with a good attitude, just be like, yeah, let's go freeze. You know, I mean, I'm just kidding. I enjoy it too. But to go do that with him is showing quality time and uh, maintaining eye contact and really listening to a person is great for that. And then the other one is gifts. It doesn't have to be expensive, but just some thoughtfulness. You could have picked a flower while you're walking someone and just... I saw this daisy and thought of you, you know, make an analogy with it or something or getting him his favorite drink or snack or something like that. The other one is acts of service, which is me. Uh, What are the three? If you could ask him, what are three things I could do for you that would make you feel loved right now or help you? You know, they'll give you the answer to the test. If you want to get straight A's in a relationship, ask questions. They will, people will usually tell you how they want to be loved and then just do it. And you might think it's just crazy. Like, how could they feel loved if I do that? But it's different. And so that can be a misconception. We need to understand love languages. I've heard too that the way that you receive love and give love can be different. So you say, you know, that you are someone who appreciates or you give acts of service but maybe you can receive it or it might look different that way. So you might not be the same in giving and receiving. And I know that's true for me. Like I, my, I'm definitely an acts of service. That's how I show love and care, but I am a words of affirmation. That's what I thrive on. You can have multiple love languages. I don't know if that's something to note also. Yes. And that's why I asked my husband, I'm like, so what's your, you know, you think your biggest love language? He's like, I'm all five. I'm all five, you know, and we all love to be loved in all of these ways, you know? And so the last one was physical touch and a dating relationship. Obviously you have to be very careful with that one, but once you're married, it's non-sexual touch. I mean, they just like their hair rubbed or their feet or whatever. Another misconception, I think, oh, Hey, by the way, this is a great conversation piece on a date. So it's a good question. You know, so what do you think your love language is? You know, and they're like, what are you talking about? Well, let me just share, you know, it's a great conversation piece. So I think another misconception is that men should be, or just like us, 
And God created us very different on purpose. Men and women, they actually complement each other when we follow God's plan. And a lot of times we are attracted to our opposite because they're strong. And it's interesting in a dating relationship, you're like really excited about the opposite that you found. And then sometimes in marriage, the very thing that you were attracted to starts to irritate you. And so in relationships, it's just really important that we show a lot of grace and forbearance for one another. A book that would be another good read is His Needs, Her Needs by Willard Harley. This was a major breakthrough for me, more on the other side of of marriage than it, it was for being single. But at the same time, I think it's important that we learn and we educate ourselves. So he basically sets up top five needs that a man has is sexual fulfillment, recreational companionship, you know, just somebody to play with. They signed up, you know, sexual fulfillment is, you know, that's what sets you apart from every other girl. Right. And then the recreational companionship, somebody who plays with them, Obviously, they want someone physically that they're attracted to and domestic support. The last one is respect and admiration. Now, our needs as women tend to be non-sexual affection, okay? Intimate conversation. We just want to talk about everything and guys are like, they tend to be more, you know, cut and dry. And honesty and openness, financial support and a father uh, family commitment. So these are totally different. And the Lord created this this way so that we could complement our spouse, so that we could be a helpmate to them. But it's super important that we understand these differences and not making what we think is the priority. It's not always right. There isn't a right and a wrong sometimes. It's just a different priority. And we need to be gracious about that. So there's lots of room to grow and mature this area. A book that I would also recommend, it's called Love and Respect by Emerson Egerich. It has an S on the end, E-G-G-E-R-I-C-H-S. Not exactly sure how you pronounce that, but excellent book. Men want respect more than they want love. And understanding what that means. Read, educate yourself, grow in these areas. And if you're not in a relationship, use these things to learn on your brother's or your father, or other male friends in your life. Because I promise you, it will highly greaten, you know, the quality of relationship and deepen it as well. The respect one, Janice, is so huge. And you can just, if you compliment a guy, and (laughs) it's amazing how, um, how that is so important to them is having that respect from the women in their life. And so don't never, never belittle or put down the men in your family or the men around you. That has some pretty lasting negative effects. So yes. And how easy it is for us to just have these things that roll off our tongues that we just, oh, putting them down or thinking, you know, taking lightly what they say, things that are important to them are important to them. And so we've got to respect that and be very careful with our tongues. Proverbs has lots to say about that. But I think another uh, misconception is that girls are more romantic than guys. And I'll just say, and you might be, in our relationship, my husband is off the charts romantic. He's definitely has a romantic bone in him. I love it. In fact, he wrote a book called How to Win a Heart, and it's on our relationship from dating 
to marriage. It's not out yet. He's on the final. It's getting ready to print. But there's a lot of great lessons in it for learning and a lot of questions at the end of the chapter. Anyway, I think that guys can be very romantic. And so it can that can be a misconception. I'm so looking forward to that book. I keep checking Amazon periodically to see if it's up yet. <laughs> I know. I know. We'll get there. Thank you, Janice. That Those were all very helpful. And I didn't come up with any to add to that. I think you covered the territory pretty well. So the third question here is, how can a single lady overcome shyness or feeling uncomfortable talking with men? Okay. I love this question. I believe overcoming shyness is a learned skill. Uh, For some, it comes really naturally. I had seven brothers. I'm one of 12 children. So I had seven brothers around me and guys, I had more guy relationships in my life than girls. And then when I started getting to the marriage age, I had to make a change in that because that wasn't working really well for me. But for some, some have to work a little more at that. And, but you can do it. God is in the transformation program. And so, so for some, it's the way that they were raised. Some, I hear parents saying to their children all the time, you know, like, oh, she's the shy one of the family. Like they're saying these things right in front of their kids and, you know, self-fulfilling prophecy. These kids are like, oh, now they are, you know, quantifying themselves as I'm a shy person because that's what my mother thinks, you know, but in our family, and I know with our children that it is not acceptable for our kids to be shy. So we asked my youngest daughter to introduce herself, you know, and she hides behind my skirt. We will go home at night and role play and say, okay, we're going to practice introductions and we practice introducing and it just takes some practice. But if someone is shy, I would recommend reading the book, uh, How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. It's basically, it's just teaching you principles to better understand people, to become a more likable person and, and to improve your relationships. Another way I'd say the most important way to overcome shyness is to really understand who you are in Christ and believe what he says about you and who you are. Because oftentimes when we're shy, it's just we're, we can become self-centered and thinking about ourselves, how I feel, how I'm coming across. And it can be actually something that you're really self-absorbed in. Just in general, knowing who you are, are in Christ and being comfortable in your own skin because you realize that you are totally loved, Ephesians 1, 6. You are totally accepted, Ephesians 1, 4. You're chosen. You're blessed with all spiritual heavenly um, blessings in heavenly places in Christ. You're an overcomer. The Lord makes you victorious. You're more than a conqueror. You're totally forgiven. Psalm 139, his hand is leading you. His right hand holds you. You're a new creation. Isaiah 43.10, you are my witnesses, saith the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that ye may know and believe me and understand that I am he. There's three things. Know, believe, and understand. You know, Satan is out there to deceive us and to thinking We don't have plans. I'm not enough. That's something that I have dealt with my whole life because I was raised in a performance mindset family. By the things you did, that's how you got approval and love and acceptance. And in getting married, 
you know, these things came to light and actually they came to light before that the Holy spirit was really working me in my high school years. And every time I, I realized that I was a people pleaser, somebody uh, in one of our high school Bible studies brought up about being people pleaser and had us take this little, ask us some questions. And I realized I am a people pleaser and we can't be seeking to please others and please God that, you know, Proverbs talks about that being a snare. It's a snare to us, but understanding, not just reading words on a page, you know, we can look at those words, but internalizing them saying, Lord, thank you that you love me. It doesn't matter if this guy thinks I'm great. It doesn't matter if these girls think I'm great or if my parents thank you that I'm totally loved that you have plans for my life. I'm totally accepted. And when you start to believe God is who he says that he is and that you are who he says that you are, there is a certain rest and confidence that comes with a person like that. And it is very beautiful. It is very attractive because you're not going to be that odious girl that needs attention because her love tank isn't full. You know who you are and God has your life. He came to set captives free. He came to open up our blind eyes. We all have blind spots. And as you seek the Lord and make him first in your life, he is going to open up those areas to you that need pruning, that need transforming. And he's going to do the work. And he's going to, you know, some of you might feel like you're imprisoned by shyness. Like, I just wish I wasn't this way. Okay. And he can set you free from that. But there are, there are a few practical things that I would suggest for someone who feels really shy. And that is the five-second rule. You need to learn to become a risk taker in every way. You know, we have something in our family. It's called, you know, Johnson's are participators. Okay. So this is just a mantra that is just constantly going on. You know, we participate. But sometimes you know, you can be scared to do that. You know, is there a volunteer out there? And people ask to, you know, raise your hand, let's say in an audience. So the five second rule goes like this. You just start at five, five, four, three, two, one, and then you go and you just raise your hand. It's like jumping out of an airplane. When you hit one, you go. And after you jump, it's all, it's just going to take care of itself. My uh, son Baylor took a diving course. They would take him to these high, high, high places to dive that were very scary, way beyond what he had ever done. And they taught him about this. Okay. Every time you dive, you start at five. When you hit one, you go. And it's a mindset, but training yourself to do that when you, all of a sudden you might be paralyzed by fear to talk to a guy or something or engage in conversation. And you just go five, four, three, two, one, introduce yourself or, you know, whatever. That might be a little practical thing. If you don't know what questions to ask, you can look up questions online. There's just hundreds of questions. I did a game with our family over Thanksgiving and about asking questions and there's all kinds of things on there. But my challenge to you is if you're a shy person, the next time you're in church, each Sunday, make this your habit. Go introduce yourself to a person sitting around you. And you just go up and say, hi. My name is Janice. We haven't met. Are you new at the church or have you been coming a long time? Just practice, just practice, just practice. And guess what? You know what? The Lord, when you initiate that, there are so many lonely people out there. There are so many shy, scared, 
afraid people and somebody who initiates love, you're going to get a blessing from that. And you're going to bless the socks off the person that you initiated to. It's thinking about the other person and not yourself. And you're going to start expanding your circle. And that shyness is going to start to go away. And you'll get stronger and stronger. And maybe it's not initiating a conversation, but maybe for someone who is needing to take some baby steps in this area, it's just smiling, being okay to smile at a guy (laughs) or, you know, just having a persona about you that's approachable. And, you know, I grew up with five brothers and so I'm pretty comfortable talking with men but it was very easy and for me in my church settings to just kind of congregate with girls. And you just get in this little bubble together and you're all talking and then it becomes very difficult for a guy to come and kind of break into the circle. Um, and so my older sister gave me a challenge every Sunday. She would ask me, did you talk to one guy? Did you go out of your way to approach somebody. And it was really good for me to have accountability and to know that someone was going to ask me that. And so I started doing that with a couple other friends and be like, okay, did you talk to at least one guy this Sunday? And some weeks it was an 80 year old man or something. Those are always safe. But the goal, the goal was to talk with peers and to be friendly and open and comfortable with um, our Christian brothers in Christ. And it does take practice. And if and don't compare yourself. I think that's something that's helpful is if you're looking around at some really outgoing type A person and thinking, oh, I'll never be that. So I'm not going to try, you know, your level of confidence and being outgoing and overcoming your shyness might look a little bit different. It's not going to maybe swing to the opposite end of the spectrum, um, but you can still make progress. Yes. And I'm glad you brought that up, Christy, because I have some daughters that are very articulate and can just communicate their thoughts. Like they can get on a video, they can get in front of a group of people on just on spur of the moment and just like, oh my goodness, you just drop your jaw. Like how could they do that? Or they're very funny. You know, they have everybody in stitches and, and, you know, there's been times where I've been like, oh, I wish I was more like that. And I have to bring myself back. It is not wise. There's a verse in the Bible. I I can't think of where it is, but it is not wise to compare ourselves. We are special and unique and the Lord, you know, all the time I'm asking my husband, you know, like, I just wish I was a little more talkative because I can tend to be quiet. And he's like, are you kidding me? Because my husband's super talkative. And he's like, I am so glad you are the way you are. You know, he loves me just the way I am. But you know, when I can, when I'm not walking in the spirit, I can get out of myself and go, oh, I wish I was more that way. Well, there's areas that we can grow in. Obviously, we don't want to just say, oh, I'm just not that way and just give up on things altogether. But, you know, coveting that or desiring that, trying to be something that you're not is the way God's hardwired you is not wise. Yeah, I have a on another lady in my church who is the most bubbly, outgoing, loving woman. Her advice that she received when she was younger, a younger woman, and she used to be very shy, someone just told her, well, think of someone that you know that's outgoing and just pretend to be them. <laughs> and she said, as funny as that sounded, you know, she tried it and it did help. And she just, what would this person do in this setting? And Try to, at the beginning stages, try to think of 
how an outgoing person would interact with people and try to emulate that and it'll become second nature. One of my brothers, Nathan, I might cut this out if he's embarrassed by it, but <laughs> used to be deathly shy as a teenager and people meet him now. He's definitely not now. <laughs> I know. No, him. he's one of the most friendly, outgoing. yeah, outgoing yes. men. It can be overcome and yeah, and you can work on and improve in that area. Yes. It, shyness is a learned skill. So love that tip. I think I'm going to use that for, for my Instagram quotes. <laughs> okay. So the next question here, and this question pertains more, I, I think to family members or maybe coworkers, if you make a request or how can you make a request to a man in a way that makes him want to fulfill it? and avoids nagging and whining. Okay, so I like to compare this type of relationship to a bank. So we make deposits and withdrawals. And if you've been busy making deposits into that relationship, even if it's a working relationship, that tank is going to be full. And when you go to withdraw, it's not going to be a problem. In fact, they'll usually want to do whatever you ask. It's a definitely ebb and flow. Like we said, relationships are... Um, not static, you know? And so they'll usually want to do whatever you ask, but if they don't, it's a sign that maybe you need to make more deposits or change your tactic. So you could ask them, is there anything I can do to help you right now? If they do something for you, you really want to show them your appreciation, words of affirmation, make it a big deal. I call it the sandwich, but you start out with something that's just really positive. You make a request and then you make another positive statement to them. But you don't want to be passive aggressive and beat around the bush. Be clear about what you want. Guys do not like that. Sometimes they are relational and they need help in executing it. So I know for my husband and for my father-in-law, they are very relational people. To go do something by themselves is not going to happen usually, you know, but if I start working on something or I've already asked them, then they'll come over and all of a sudden they take over the project and they're just glad to have somebody else there, a, a buddy to be with them. You could ask them, is there something I can do to make this project easier? Could I get the parts for you? You know, what can I do to make it easier? On a marriage note, I know my daughter suggested this. I thought this was a really good idea. She saves up all of her to-do things for around the house to the first Saturday of every month. And that's the day they spend three hours doing the house things. That way you're not just like nagging all month long about everything. And there's time set aside for that. So I thought that was a really good idea. Those are a few helpful tips. Yeah, that's great. And it probably comes back down to understanding how they communicate and do they need something written down? I know that was my dad. He needed it to be written down because he more than likely wouldn't remember it. And so, yeah, finding out what is most useful and helpful for them. Yes. Some people are auditory. Some people have to see it written. Some people are relational. It's just, yeah, figuring out how they work best. And you have to study a person to, to work well with someone. You've got to, you know, and ask them. Would you rather it in this, this, or this format? You know, what would be most helpful? And they'll give you the answer to the test. So just, you know, ask questions, clarifying questions. And I think it's really good to remember to always make a request in humility and not just assume that they owe this to you or 
Also, not be emotional when you're making a request. That's a way that women can manipulate men is by, you know, using their emotion. So try to just be logical and practical and not manipulate in your request making. Yes, that's good wisdom right there. Okay, so this is kind of segueing into a different type of question, but how can you turn down a guy who asks you out on a date while being both clear but gracious? Okay, yeah, there's definitely an art to this. Um, Girls can tend to be more gracious than clear, I think. And in the long run, I think it's much better to be clear because guys sometimes don't get it. You know, you can say something like, first of all, I'm so flattered that you're, that you'd like to get to know me better. I think you're a great guy and I genuinely care about your bigger future, but I know that I'm not the girl for you and you deserve the best, you know? Saying something like that, or I really don't see us going together, going anywhere besides friends. I just don't think we're a fit. And and then stick with that and um, just be clear in your communication. And uh, we've had to do that with our girls and the relationships that they've had. I wish in my dating relationships that I had been more clear. You know, I've really had to take a long look at it because going out, dealing with everything. After you go out with somebody, then you have to deal with, is it going to be a second date? You know, so that could be so emotionally draining all the time. And so I just, you have to, before you get that ball rolling, really think about it. But sometimes you don't know. And sometimes what you think you need isn't necessarily what you need. So you need to give some guys a shot. You know, if there's just, if there's, you know, half a chance that as you get to know them, they might be somebody because God has, you know, his thoughts are not our thoughts all the time. And so, but if somebody is just clearly, you're not interested, just make it clear up front and save them the energy and time and, and definitely don't use them to go out and have a free dinner or because you wanted to see that movie and they're going to pay for it. So you're going to go, you know, or, or whatever, don't use other people that goes back to defrauding. And you don't have to over explain why you're not interested in a guy. I think that's key to remember because I think that there's the need and you want to like, you know, maybe explain because you don't want them to think that it's some, maybe, maybe it's not a character issue. Maybe it's just a personality thing, but they don't, that's not helpful for them to know. You don't need to explain, well, you're pretty shy and I don't think our personalities mesh. Like that's, that's not something they can like majorly change. So just don't feel the need to over explain why, I guess, is my point. And just leave it at that. You're right. Because girls, we just like to talk, especially if you're nervous. If, you know, you just keep talking and talking. You start digging yourself in a hole and it's just not necessary. Or a text, however you're doing it. Just be clear and then move on. And then treat them. You know, next time you see them, be friendly. And you've been clear and say no harm, no foul. You know, you still care about them as a person. And if there are any of the the few guys that listen to this podcast, this might be a tip for you. But if a girl does turn you down, I know a gracious response that that I've heard guys give is that, well, you know, I'll leave the ball in your court. If you ever have a change of mind, you know, please reach out, which I feel like is so helpful and wise because, you know, you're not going to be keep pursuing when there's already been a clear answer, but maybe the girl will have a change of heart and you want to leave that door open in case she 
does come back around. I've, I just thought that was such a gracious way to respond. So I looked up the definition of flirting, and I won't necessarily give the definition on the podcast. You can go look that up if you want, but it's not favorable necessarily. But what is what do you think is appropriate or inappropriate flirting? Is it ever appropriate? What should ladies avoid? Yeah. So asking a guy out. Okay. I, so I have boys and boy, girls are, have become very forward these days. And guy, the Lord has made men as hunters naturally, and they like the hunt. They like the pursuit. They like the chase. And so I, uh, you don't, you know, inviting a guy to like, Hey, a group situation. Oh, we're all going to do this. If you want to come, that's great. You know, throwing out an invitation like that, I think is totally fine, especially if you want to get to know the guy better or whatever, but like specifically asking him out, I think that's taboo being odious, needy, loud, needing attention, just over the top is very unattractive. Guys run from that back rubs and hand massages and, you know, through physical touch. I think that's inappropriate dominating the conversation in a group and constantly drawing the attention to yourself when you're in a group setting is definitely selfish and inappropriate. Any kind of physical advancement is not appropriate. I know, you know, for my son, there was a girl, he was playing rugby and this girl just kept showing up. I'm like, so who is this girl? She, he's like, mother, she just follows me everywhere. She's at my classes. She's that, you know, I'm like, you need to be clear and communicate that you're not interested. And, you know, so she can stop her pursuit. And he's like, oh, I have, you know, but this just, you know, constant, you, you being the hunter instead of being hunted, the roles are reversed there. But I do think engaging in conversation, maybe liking a guy's post. I think we get into this in another question. So I'll save the tech part for that. It's smiling, like you were saying, laughing, being lighthearted, working on a project with, you know, being available. You know, like you said, if you're standing over there huddled in your group with all the girls, that's kind of intimidating, but just being available and friendly. In fact, if you really want to know if a guy likes you or not, my suggestion is that you withdraw. And a guy who is really interested in you will definitely make advancements towards that because that's attractive. That's actually what I did with my husband. I totally like stepped back. I became quieter. The ones that I was really talkative with, those I wasn't really interested in. And when it came to like, he was interested in me, I got a little quieter and just made sure that he was pursuing because I wanted a guy who is totally crazy about me. I wanted him, no competition, no other girl is even comes close to the affection that my soon to be husband would have for me. You know, I didn't be, I didn't want to be one of the hundreds. I wanted to be one and that is it. And so for me, I just kind of pulled back and see where he is, you know, and he was definitely like, wow, you know, he just really got on the stick. So that might be A little tip, if you want to know if a guy, after you've made yourself, you know, available and like you want to test where he is, back off a little bit and remind yourself, quietness and confidence shall be your strength. There's a verse in the Bible. I didn't have a chance to look that up, but 
that's a verse that I often have comforted myself with that you don't, the Lord's in charge of this and nothing is going to stop. Nothing will thwart the sovereignty of God in your life. Okay. So if he is bringing a guy into your life, it's going to happen. And you don't have to worry about that. Making yourself available. There's little tips and things that you can, you know, we want to do, but the Lord ultimately is in charge of that. Flirting with no intentionality, just because you like the attention, leading guys on is extremely selfish and hurtful. And as soon as you know that you are not interested, make sure that you're clear. Yeah. And I think maybe what would be attractive is just being a happy person. If you're you're moody and depressed, emotional, that is going to definitely make guys run the opposite direction. But if you're just joyful and happy and exude the joy of the Lord, that is so attractive and you don't need to overtly flirt. Like, you know, there's just ways to, to have a attractive personality that'll draw people to you. I know my mom, it's so fun. We were going through some of her letters that she wrote home when she was in college and she had so many men chasing her, but she was just not, she's naturally a happy person, but she just exudes that even to this day. And it's so attractive to men and women. Okay. So my next question here, what guidelines should single women consider in their written communication with men through email, text, or social media? Okay. So I know with our girls, if they are interested, somebody finds them online And they text back and forth a little bit. My girls, we've counseled them to say, hey, I usually don't text guys. So if you're really interested in me, I would love for you to come over and meet my family. Or we've had guys fly out to our house. And because texting just isn't real life, you've got to get to know the person and getting to know them sooner than later is better. Through using technology, I would maybe recommend FaceTime because you can tell a lot through, you know, just seeing a person and how they talk and stuff. But as soon as you realize that you're interested, you need to get to real life. My girls have said, I'm, I'm not on technology a lot, so I'm relying on them a little bit. But they were just saying D, DMing guys is not good. If you like something, that's great. But if you, your circle of friends, that they see you just like commenting on every guy's thing and you just become like, oh, she just does that to everyone. Like she's just a flirt. There's nothing really special about you. But if you are interested in a specific person, maybe liking something and see if they reach out through that. But just remind yourself that social media is public. I would recommend that you don't post yourself as an item or, you know, pictures with you and guys online. Because, you know, I didn't get married till I was 26. I dated a lot of people. If I had had social media and just like throwing pictures, I was like, oh, wow, she's just a player. She just goes out, you know, like, oh, and relation posting that you're in relationships and all this. My girls don't post until they're like almost engaged to a person. You don't want to appear as a yo-yo to guys. And so be really careful about what you're wearing on pictures, the way you're posing in pictures. A lot of times girls can be like, they just get so comfortable with social media. Like, Hey, they're just talking to my girls, my friends. Well, guys are seeing that too. So be careful about what you're saying. Just realize that it's, you know, treat it with respect. And then also there's some warnings. Sex trafficking is becoming more and more popular through the internet. Never 
following links unless you know exactly what you're doing or guys that are wanting to collaborate, don't click on them or before you follow somebody else back online, click and check out their profile. And probably don't allow friendships or don't confirm a friend request if you don't know the person. And if you have a mutual friend, reach out and try to figure out now who is this person? I I don't know them. And my rule of thumb is just to not accept uh, friend requests from people that I don't know or have enough mutual friends with to know that they would be an upstanding person. Yes, because my girls have come in contact with this and their friends, like it is a serious thing and you've got to be careful online. There's no best friends. If you're texting a guy, somebody is interested. So we don't let our girls just text guys. If it's for like information showing up, Hey, I'll meet you here. Or, you know, we're playing volleyball at this time, whatever, things like that are good. But just texting somebody, they can, someone can say they're not interested, but if they're texting you, they're interested. And I think too, what communication like that does when it's private you remove all accountability and that can be a dangerous place because things can be said that are you wouldn't have said in person or in a group context. So I think it's just a good habit to have most of your communication be in public settings where you have other people around, you're not exclusive, you know, you just don't remove yourself from that layer of accountability from your other brothers and sisters. And there's times when it's appropriate to be communicating one-on-one if you're getting to know somebody. If you've already established that, you know, and you're going on dates and everything, like that's an important, you have to invest in that one-on-one communication to get to know someone. But yeah, it's real life to do communicating in groups. And yeah, thank you, Janice. That, those were all helpful tips. So my bonus question here. In the church, it seems that singles are waiting longer to get married. What do you think are the reasons for this and how can this trend be broken? So it is true. The average age now for men to get married is 29 and the average age for women is 27. And I think we're in a moral decline right now and cohabitating lack of morals is even in the church is happening. I think people are scared. 50% of all marriages end in divorce and separation. And so a lot of people haven't had good examples of parents. And so they're afraid to make that commitment because they don't want to go through what their parents did. I know for me, I didn't see a whole lot of great marriages. I had a great single life. I was very happy. I was thriving as a single person. And I thought, boy, the guy who comes into my life is going to have to be pretty special because life is pretty good right now. And I just wanted to get better if I'm going to get married. And the Lord brought an extra special guy that really enhanced my life. Some people are waiting to finish their education. They want the careers first, or they just haven't met the right one. And I just think at the core society is their expectation that people get married young is foolish and even irresponsible. I feel like that's kind of a feeling that I get from society. And we're catering to immature men. They aren't being challenged to be men. And the church isn't giving them a vision for being a father. You know, people say, oh, I just want to have fun before they get married. Like marriage is something that ties them down. And then women, they don't need men 
they feel like they can do things. They want to have their life before they get tied down or whatever and want their careers and whatnot. And so they wake up at 30 years old and then they're deciding, oh yeah, maybe I want to get married and experience that and maybe have a child or two and how we can change that. That's a good question. And I just take it personally. And I feel like first it starts with me to my children. I want to be an example of a fun, wonderful marriage. And I want them to desire that at an early age. And we encourage that with our children. And I think that's why my husband puts on a man camp because he wants to renew the vision and put vision into young men of what life can be like as a married man. It actually completes them and makes their life. It is not a burden or an obstacle to a wonderful life, but it's just the opposite. It's what helps to make your life wonderful. You know, at our newlywed weekends, we're also breathing you know, marriage and family, giving them a bigger picture than just the immediate right now. Marriage is just, it's God's plan. It says it's not good for a man to be alone. You know, when a a man finds a wife, he's found a good thing. I really think the church and and in the church, there's just so many troubled marriages right now. You know, (laughs) it's just falling in love with God's word, It's people standing up and speaking out like you're doing, Christy, and reading vision and into people's lives and shake them up to maybe think differently. We just do our part. And just, I mean, the society in general is trying to destroy the family. So what a way for Christians to show the opposite and just show what a strong family, what a gospel witness that can be to society. You can be a cheerleader for families. You can you know, find good families in your church that you can encourage and come alongside and help. And, you know, in the season of singleness, you can still celebrate and enjoy families. Yeah. And Christy, I just, I want to share something kind of piggyback on what you're talking about. It's a little off topic, but at the same time, I really feel led to share this from um, my favorite love story is Genesis 24, the story of Rebecca and Isaac and the, what she was doing when she was a single person. I love this story. And I encouraged myself as a single person that, you know, God was going to bring his man in his time. And, you know, Abraham tells his servant that he wants to go out and I want you to find a wife for my son. And he says, well, what if, what if she doesn't come with me? Should I bring Isaac? And he says, no, instead, Abraham reminds the servant who God is and leaves him full of faith. Verse seven, the Lord God of heaven, which took me from my father's house and from the land of my kindred and which spake unto me that swear unto me saying unto thy seed, will I give this land? He shall send his angel before thee and thou shalt take a wife unto my son from thence. Like he was just, he knew who God was and he filled his servant full of faith. Like he's going to do this for you, you know? and so. He goes, long story short, gets over to where he was supposed to go and it's evening time and he has 10 camels and he strategically puts his camels down and has them rest next to the well where the ladies that come out in the evening to get draw the water, right? And so here comes Rebecca. It says, and the servant ran to meet her and said, let me, I pray thee, drink a little water of thy pitcher. And she said, drink, my Lord. And she hasted 
and let down her pitcher upon her hand and gave him drink. And when she had done giving him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for thy camels also until they have done drinking. Look at this girl. She didn't say, you can get your own water or, you know, whatever. She hasted. She, when you finish getting a drink, I, let me water your camels as well. I looked up how much camels drink. Camels drink 53 gallons of water in three minutes. He had 10 camels. This, I mean, I don't understand. I, I'm, I'm missing something in the story, but this girl was hardworking. She was blooming right where she was. This man had nothing to offer her. He's probably an older servant. You know, it wasn't like, oh, maybe, you know, he'll recognize me or something, but she's blooming right where she's planted. She's initiating. She's trusting the Lord in God's sovereign and perfect timing. He will bring you that guy. She didn't know when she went out to the watering hole that day, that that was going to be the day that she was going to find the connection to her husband. And I will say this too, as you're blossoming, God knows people. Okay. So he didn't know that this servant was connected to Isaac, this wealthy, rich dude that was good looking and great. Okay. But people are all connected. You don't know whose grandmother, mother, friend, you do not know the connection to who your spouse is going to be, but just, you don't have to worry about that. You just rest and trust in the sovereignty of the Lord. This is a virtuous woman. Proverbs 31, 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her worth is far above rubies. A godly man is looking for someone like you, somebody that is just, you know, seeking the Lord and totally committed. Unless the build, the Lord build the house, you labor in vain that build it. Okay. So you're not building your own house. You're not writing your own story. It's all about him. He is the author. He is the builder. It is up to him to bring these connections. And so just rest, just rest in that and be blessed. He's writing your love story and he hasn't forgotten about you. You're the apple of his eye. You just need, we just need to believe him, believe he is who he says that he is and that we are who he says that we are and the rest will take care of itself. Thank you, Janice. That was such a beautiful story to bring in and I just, yeah, so encouraged by your life and example and trust in the Lord through different seasons. And there was a couple other questions by listeners. I don't know if you saw those or if you had any tips. I feel like we kind of addressed a little bit on this one of how do I know if a guy is interested in me? I feel like things can be misread. Did you have any tips on that? They're going to initiate conversation. They're going to pursue you. They'll ask for your number. It's pretty basic. If somebody is serious about you like that, they've got to initiate that and make the connection. Yeah. And like you mentioned earlier, guys are naturally pursuers and hunters. And so to them to pursue is not unnatural. And I would caution girls to not go off of a look or a gesture or something of that nature. I think it's so easy if we're hyper vigilant and sensitive to a particular guy that we can misconstrue their looks or actions. And that can be really detrimental um, 
one thing a wise woman told me is don't assume a guy likes you unless he tells you in English to your face. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Don't make it clear. And like I said before, if you have any questions, withdraw yourself a little bit. If he doesn't pursue you and try to go after you and initiate something, he's probably not interested. So you're probably misreading something. He's probably just being friendly and that's the way he is with other people. Yes. And if you have a real question, if you're troubled about it, then try to talk to someone else in the church who can speak to him. You know, try not to make it awkward by you approaching him on that. And if they say, no, he's not interested in you, then then you can move on and not think anything of that. You definitely don't need to go up to him and ask him if he's interested in you. That would be bad. <laughs> he's not, if you have to do that. Yes. And I think some of us girls, if we can wait for years for a guy in a, a church or something that we, who's also single and think that maybe there's something there, you know, we try to read him between the lines and think, well, maybe he's just shy or whatever the case is. If he hasn't pursued you and he's known you this long, it's not going to happen. So, I mean, God can do things, but I think that's a pretty good indicator. Yes. And my, my sister didn't get married till she was 45 and boy, does she marry a gem. She is so happily married. And anyway, it was worth the wait and I'm just so happy for her, but it comes in his timing. Everybody's story is different. And God's so creative with how I love how you just share with Rebecca and Isaac, you know, God knows how to bring people and connections and we hear stories all the time and they're all different and exciting and it's so neat to see how God works all of that out when we're resting in him. We're not trying to manipulate a person or a situation or make it happen on our terms, you know, pursuing the right things and allowing God to bless us in that way, I think is important. And putting yourself in places that you could meet somebody is a good thing. Also, don't just hole up in your house, even though we're in quarantine, but to make yourself available is a healthy thing. Yes. Rest and be blessed. 